Welcome to Everything House Music and More today, everyone. And we have a special guest, Kirk Townsend. Hey, Kirk, how you doing, brother? I'm good, Maurice. How are you, sir? I am very good, brother. Great. So, Kirk, before we get started, I want you to tell people that who's not from Chicago, just a brief synopsis of just your early ages. You know what? Better yet, no, here you, no we can go with question number one. There you go. Here we go. How did you get into DJing? And what year did you actually start mixing and beat matching at, at some time? So when, <laughs> when I started DJing, it was probably around late 1973. I had uh, just some small house speakers, uh, a little Radio Shack mixer, and uh, two mix-match turntables like probably everybody had. And uh, I was playing uh, jazz for my dad's friends in the uh, basement parties and stuff like that. And, and what year that, was that? That was probably late 1973. Okay. And then when I was in eighth grade, uh, I, well, I had several influences. Let me backtrack a little bit. So one of my earliest influences, uh, not just myself, but also Tony Hatchett and Andre Hatchett, both of our dads bowled at Starlight Bowling Alley on 87th and Cottage in uh, Daddy O'Daly's Sunday Morning Men's League. And uh, every Sunday, a guy named Millard Green would play jazz records while the guys bowled. And uh, every now and then, Millard would, like, play some different music. I, he was the first person I ever heard play Harlem by... Uh, Bill Withers. Bill Withers. Oh, wow. You know. Okay. So, And this is back in the 60s. Mm. So, yeah, in the late 60s, early 70s. Okay. And so um, uh, every now and then he would let Andre get behind the thing in place. So I remember Andre was like four years old sitting behind the, the table. Playing. Wait, Andre Hedget? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because their dad and my dad, they bowled in the same league. Okay. And so as kids, we'd be running up and down and around the bowling alley. So that was one influence that I didn't know. So that influenced me to start doing the jazz for the guys and because I could emulate a lot of the music that Miller was playing. Okay. And then uh, in eighth grade at the grammar school I was going to, uh, I had a friend named Kenny Anderson. Kenny's father, George Anderson, was the engineer at Soul Train. Oh, wow. And uh, sometimes after school, we would jump on the L, go downtown, and we would watch them tape Soul Trains. Right. And uh, his dad would be playing the records. They had the Soul Train dancers down there. And so people that don't know, Soul Train was filmed here in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And where was that at? Down at the Board of Trade building on West Jackson. Wow. So um, it, it was very interesting to, to watch. And I was like, hmm, I could get into this. And then when we had our eighth grade party, they asked George to come DJ our eighth grade party. Mm -hmm. And he bought the Soul Train dancers with him to our little grammar school. Wow. And he did something that really blew my mind. Mm -hmm. He did a lady's choice. Okay. And uh, all the Soul Train dancers would go out and grab the guys that were uh, there. And I mean, we're in eighth grade, man, at a Catholic grammar school. So right. we're like, you know, it was just amazing for something like this to happen. Wow. And uh, as we 
you go through the process, the big popular soul train dancer, she comes and grabs me. And we're dancing to Sexy Mama by the Moments. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, this is like 1974. Right. So. Uh, now, what were they beat matching at the time? Or were they no, just playing just absolutely playing music? not. Just playing yeah, music okay. and just trying to keep some kind of continual by being tight. And, right, right. And maybe extend records here and there and, you know, cut through. Because uh, remember, prior to 1976, there was no real uh, mixer okay. that was cueable. Okay. You know, it, it didn't have a cue system. Uh, the only two things I knew of was one, uh, Ken Samuels and Bob Simmons, who had Fox Player Sound at the right. time, had these built-in cueing into the boards that they had and had a little speaker that was set up on top of their mm -hmm. racks and they could switch from one turntable to the other. And you would just, you know, cue front end records wow. and stuff like that just by listening to this little speaker. Right. So there was no, no head headphones, headphones right. no, you know. Oh, wow. So when uh, I think between Yuri and Clubman, when the Clubman 1-1 came right. out, that was one of the first cueable mixers where you can. Wow. So get, everybody was loving it then when that came out. Yeah. And, and <laughs> things just kind of took off so real fast as everybody started playing with stuff. Now that you got a way to backtrack records right. and right. do different things and extend records, you know, that was in the infancy uh, of blending. It was mostly just to extend good records that, you know, you wanted people to dance to a little bit longer right. or. You know, things of that nature. So Nice, nice. Yeah. So tell the audience how you progressed from Mendel to DJing, overseeing what became the bi-level disco. So, well, well, do you want to talk about Mendel? Because not everybody is probably... Okay, so yeah, let, let's let's tell everyone who doesn't know about Mendel bi-level. Yeah. So I uh, went to De La Salle in my freshman year of high school. And I was starting to DJ, and I was doing parties, and mm -hmm. I was doing stuff like the Roberts 500 Room, different events. I was doing the Lays with Class parties over at the University of Chicago, and I was gaining in popularity. And uh, when I transferred and got to Mendel, uh, the first day of school, uh, Father O'Grady, who was the theology teacher, who also was the activities director. Okay. So he was responsible for putting on activities and stuff. And, right. and Mendel was well known in the past for doing parties on Sundays when the school was all white. Right. You know, they did what they call social Sunday, uh, social Sundays. And okay. every Sunday they would have things in the gym and it was mostly bands. And, okay. you know, Mendel was responsible for spawning two of the largest bands in rock history. Oh, wow. Uh, Chicago and Sticks. Get out of here. Yeah. Wow. So. Uh, Knowledge. Yeah. So it, it they, they were trying to extend it a little bit. And as the school was changing over and the white flight out of Roseland and, and, you know, they were trying to figure out a way, one, to draw more students in, and right. two, trying to fill the revenue gap that was being lost by the loss of all these students. Mm -hmm. So um, first day of class, Father O'Grady said, tomorrow I want you to bring a cigar box. Okay. And in it, I want you to put things that represent your life. So this was his way of trying to do like a show and tell, I guess, okay. and that people got to know each other a little bit better. 
And uh, so when I put mine together, I put in one a patch of a McDonald's patch because I was already an assistant manager at McDonald's at 14. Get out of here. Yeah. So wow. I, uh, I was... Uh, uh, I had the patch, and then I put a little yellow spindle in there. Uh, for the 45s that people don't know. Yeah, 45 yeah. spindle. Right. And I said, to show that I was, you know, he said, well, what is this for? I said, well, I'm a DJ, and I DJ a lot of parties. He said, well, you know, we do about three, four parties a year. You know, we have the winter music dance. We have the uh, the Easter mission dance, which they did a bi-level one, maybe twice a year. Right. And um, the Easter Mission Dance was the big one where they would get all the students to come in and they would send all the money made over to the missions in South America that they supported. Okay. So I, after doing that a couple of times, started out in the basement and uh, um, they already had a couple of DJs there. So I had to earn my salt. I had to come right. in and, and knock these guys off the hill. Oh, wow. Now, did you have a DJ name at the time? Just, uh, yeah. Yeah, what, I did. Okay, what was it? <laughs> sweet K the DJ. Ooh, Sweet K the DJ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, so after uh, maybe doing three to four dances, um, it was starting to pick up and rock. I moved all the other guys out. Right. I was doing the the parties upstairs, and uh, we would also have uh, some sock hops after the basketball games on Friday night. Okay. And um, next thing you know, I went to Father O'Grady. I said, you know, there's a way we could possibly do this every week right. and do the bi-level and have a different DJ upstairs and downstairs. Right. By this time, I had met Tony Poindexter. Okay. And uh, Tony, I said, you know, if you want to, I'll, I'll get you in downstairs. Right. And I'll be upstairs. And, you know, and we both were running equipment, big equipment at that point from Ken Samuels. Okay. And so uh, I said, okay. He, we started doing it. Next thing you know, the thing is just growing like crazy. He bought in his little brother, okay. Steve Poindexter. Steve Poindexter. So, I, so Steve ended up, you know, after uh, – after we started, so by this time, it's maybe late 75, 76. Now, did Steve go to school there also? No. Okay. Steve went to High Park. Okay. Along with uh, somebody else we know. Right. <laughs> and uh, so along with Steve came John Hunt, who we call Buster, uh, and um, uh, also uh, another kid that they all lived in the same neighborhood named Thaddeus. Thaddeus okay. is no longer with us, but uh, uh, so as the start to take off we're just growing this thing where i'm doing promotions every week for the different girls schools different uh taking tickets to the girls schools we're growing this thing and before you know it we're doing you know three thousand kids every right, saturday so, cause, night because mendel was just a boys school correct all boys school, all yeah. boys school right? Mm -hmm. okay yeah and, and we're doing three thousand kids every saturday night and this was in starting in 75 yeah Wow. Yeah. And it just kind of grew by. So by the, the mid of 76, it's just booming. Okay. Booming. I mean, and um, the formats of music we were playing were kind of across the board. Um, one, I I was in uh, 
in 74, I got in as I was collecting music. Right. I had found out and got into Discotech, okay. which was a big record pool right. that Rocky Jones was a part of. Right. So I first met Rocky in 74. Oh, wow. And Mike Mozzarella and all those right. guys, you know, they were all part of Discotech, the record pool. And uh, one thing I happen to notice sometimes, a lot of the, the big the big guys from the north side and the light dudes, okay. they were like going home with stacks a little bit bigger than mine. You right. know, I'm getting stacks like this. They got stacks like this. They walking out. Right. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? We're all paying the same dues, yeah. you know. So uh, just so happens a, a brother I knew named Ernest Lazenby. He was a tavern DJ on the south side. Went by Ernest Dale. Okay. And Ernest was always a good brother. He came to me and said, hey, man, look, there's this other pool we're all going to. And it's a brother that's running it, too. And uh, we're all going to pull our resources together and, and get it done. I said, okay. Turns out it was uh, Eddie Thomas okay. and uh, the Dogs of War. Oh, wow. So I got in the Dogs of War record pool. Right. And... Uh, once we got in there, it just blew up big time. And by this time, I'm probably, I mean, every major black DJ in the city was getting records through either the Dogs of War right. or they were getting records directly from the, the record the labels, depending yeah. upon your right. relationship with all the reps. Right. And uh, um, so I'm meeting people, and, and they're all coming to the. I met Alvin Thomas, who was Eddie's son, right. who happened to be the promotions rep for AM Records at okay. the time. So he gave me a record to break in early 1976. Wow. And the funny thing is, if you look in the 1976 Mendel Yearbook, right. I'm wearing a t shirt to LTD Love to the World album. Get out of here. And so he gave it to me first and said, You could break this for wow. me and you know um we broke not only love to the world but also the ballad on there okay love's ballad right so yeah nice and yeah oh. so that was my first introduction into the relationship between dj right. record promoter radio okay you know. and that's that and you you did mendel for how long oh i dj myself till 81 okay and started my interest started dwayne and more towards radio Correct. and I, I left chicago for a year and worked in st louis and new york and came back okay. so and within the year john and steve and all those guys were handling everything oh, so, so for you, me they took it over there. after you left yeah and then, but i was yeah. only gone for a year right so i came back and then i was just running the parties every saturday right. you know from doing the promotions and and pulling everything together for everybody that's uh um so at that point we, we, everything's changing over now 82 okay. 83 comes the invention of more of the house, house tracks right. and you know <laughs> or the the disco tracks or however you want to call right. them right uh you know and we were bringing in a lot of uh uh, different DJs. By then, uh, Steve had already, Steve and, and Buster had already started bringing more and more guys on with us, you okay. know, like Chip Veasley, right. Lil John, right. Ferris, uh, oh God, Little Boo. Oh, wow. uh, I mean, everybody wanted to be part of, I mean, right. who didn't want to be a part of Mendo? I mean, right. where else could you DJ at a venue playing for three to 4,000 yeah. kids no, no, every that's, week? That's good that you say that because 
my take on Mendel, you know, because, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. I ain't gonna lie, I'm a suburbs guy. Mm-hmm. But my first introduction to Mendel, where I actually spun that Mendel, was back in 8045, I believe it was. And believe it or not, the one who bought me there and who I was like, you know, tagging along with was Mickey Mixon Oliver. Oh, wow. Because Mickey was spending that Mendel mm-hmm. at the time. And I was just like, he was like, more, you want to spend with me? I'm like, oh my good, and that's why I saw Farley, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, okay, so yeah, that was my Mendel story right there. Yeah, so, you know, um, the thing of it was, what what mult- cultivated all that was, I had a close relationship with the Augustinians, who were the priests that were running the school, Okay, and I knew that, you know, Mendel is a 40-acre campus, so right. they weren't used to running a plant that size, and at, at its height, they were had... 15, 1,600 students easily. Wow. And uh, my class, when I graduated in Mendel in 78, was the first all-black graduating class with a little under 900 students. Oh, wow. So they were already at half the capacity right. that they were they were used to being at. And the Augustinians were considering closing the school in 1979 mm. because they just couldn't afford to keep you know, running a school that size. So the money, the revenue created by the dances literally kept the doors of the school open for another Mm. 10 years. Wow. Yeah. That's heavy right there. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's why the Augustinians uh, made sure and put me into the Mendel hall of fame. Oh, nice. uh, You know, congratulations on that. Yeah. You know, it's a funny, let me tell you a quick, funny story behind that. I, I I was sitting there in the induction ceremony, mm-hmm. and I'm listening to all these guys. They're being inducted with me, and I mean, there's some big shots in there. Right, right, right. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the Cubs, Bulls, or White Sox game, and you heard Harry Carey. Harry Carey. This broadcast was was produced and directed by Jimmy T- James T. Angio. Yeah. He was he in was my there. induction class. Wow. Uh, uh, we had a guy that was a nuclear submarine commander mm-hmm. that was in my induction class. We had an, another guy, uh, Bill Callahan, who was a minority owner of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And uh, right. the, so, you know, it was, I'm listening. I'm like, I'm sitting there because Townsend <laughs> is last. They're going alphabetically. Right. I'm like, what the hell are they going to say about me? I was a DJ. Right. And, and, and when they finally got to me and they introduced me and uh, the, uh, the uh, they let a friend of mine who's a judge right. uh, introduce me, and we had known each other since kindergarten. And he said that, uh, along with Father Bill Sullivan, he said, No one person raised more money for this school than this person here. Mm. And I was like, Wow! And everybody's like, Right, you know, and I'm like, Wow. That's it big, didn't, girl. yeah, it That's really big. didn't dawn on me. Yeah. So that was a good legacy. And it was good that they for, appreciated you and remember that because, you know, you being black and just in that school like that, you know, they could have just surpassed and be like, we don't need to give me any props or anything like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That was good. They've always been good to me. The first time I got an award was in 1977 mm-hmm. when, uh, uh, Blandick was mayor. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, That was a long time ago. Yeah, and they came <laughs> out and they gave me a plaque, stopped the party one night, gave me a plaque, you know, kind of like what they did with the Chosen Few, yeah. the, you know, with the city proclamation Correct. and all that stuff. And, right. and uh, the plaque read, you know, what I did for Mendo High School and the uh, 
the uh, city of Chicago. Well, and good. Blah, See, blah, blah, blah. and that's why we're doing this type of show so people will understand yeah. what was your role in the history of House Kirk. Yeah. So one could argue those parties played an even bigger role in shaping house culture than the warehouse. Absolutely. If you had to support that theory, how was Mendel bigger to bigger for house than the warehouse? Well, what, one of the obvious things would be sheer numbers. Because okay. if you've ever been to the original warehouse or U.S. studios, you know, a good night, you get 250 to 300 people in right. there. And that's packed to the rafters. Right. Uh, it wasn't a big place. Okay. Um, uh, and, you know, depending upon what your, if you talk to a lot of the old heads, you know, or the the old uh you older, say elders. The elders of the, <laughs> they, um, their theory on on the house music terminology is slightly different in some cases. A lot right. of people think it came from, you know, because if you rem if you take a look at it from a chronological standpoint, okay. So it opened in 1978. It closed in 1981. That's the warehouse. The warehouse. About, the yes. original warehouse. The original warehouse. U.S. Studios. Right. 206 South Jefferson. So, and then Frankie moved to the power plant and Robert went on to the music box and, you know, all the right. different things that went on. But um, there's three things you got to pay attention to. So, culturally, homosexuality was not out of the closet at that point. Correct. Not like it, it is, is today. Correct. And so a lot of people had to do things in private. And by me... Uh, having since 76 started buying my own equipment and, right. and ascertaining a lot of the equipment. I was renting equipment too. And I rented to a lot of the, uh, the, the gay disc jockeys, you know, Craig Cannon, Gene White, right. um, Michael Lezabuku, right. uh, Sharon Webb, Correct. who spent for all the girls. Wayne Williams. <laughs> <I'm just playing. laughs> Here we go. Just kidding, Wayne. Just, I had to throw go. that in, man. I had to throw that in. Uh, so I was used to being around a lot of the, uh, plus my business partner that I had at the at that time, Fred Woods. Right. Fred was the Altec dealer. So we had shaping all this equipment. Oh, wow. doing a, okay. And Fred had a residency at a little gay bar down on 39th Street, right next to Rock Child's Liquors, across the street from the big church there. Okay. It was called Peyton Place. Wow. And it was a gay I club. About that. They used yeah. to have the gay follies there. They used to have gay clubs at, on, at Herb's on right. 411, East 63rd. Uh, there were a lot of hidden places. Yeah. I remember they used to do parties at uh, right the corner of 75th, excuse me, and... Um, what would that be? Evans. Okay. There was a trophy shop there, but it was owned by this guy who was gay. And they would black out the windows, put paper across the windows and right. stuff. And they have some parties huge there. parties in there. Wow. So, yeah. okay, hold on. Hold your thought right there. Okay. So, at that time, so from 75 to like, say about 83, 84, mm -hmm. when people went to Mendo, where were they saying what type of music they want to go hear? So uh, let's go to Mendel to hear. So he, he, culturally, again, okay. you gotta you gotta understand the cultures right. that persist during those times. So it was probably a combination of disco, okay, funk, right, R and B, and um, it, and you know records rotated 
probably every three months. Okay. So, you know, artists were putting out music like crazy back right. then. They were cranking it out. And I there was never a time where I was at a loss for playing music because okay. everything was coming out. You created new trends. Right. Um, and the main culture was the dance dictated the music. Hmm. So as dance got to be a little more freer, right. you know, where it wasn't dictated where you had to be a boy and a girl dancing, right. you know, the more lucid the music became. Right. But uh, depending upon the type of dancing you were doing, and and then it was the time of the dance groups, okay. you know, like the, the doctors, the secretaries, right, right. the nurses. And That's when it where, made a whole a culture thing. It was yeah. a whole culture. So right. just like with hip-hop, yeah. you know. The break dancing. Yeah, and that's uh, what people don't understand that we 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 had to wear a, a coat of dressing. Absolutely. For all the house parties. And absolutely. Everything we went to. So we 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 had that here in Chicago, but people really don't talk about Same it. Same thing happened. They had the painter's pants, right. the t-shirts. Yep. They would have their the biker's hat. It'd be back coordinated, the, yep. and exactly. it, you know, it'd be you know, and and it was part of the culture. Right. So uh, um, it could change. I mean, I remember like one of the first twelve inches I've got was like it was a promo copy from Motown of Down the Love Town. Oh my goodness. With fancy dancers by the Commodores on the flip side of it. Wow. And then the probably the next biggest one I got was because twelve inches weren't even in existence at this point. They just started filtering those into the marketplace late seventy five, early seventy six. Wow. So you know So everything was forty five still forty five or thirty three. Thirty three, yeah. Forty five or thirty three. So you you had to to play with what you but the twelve inches hit so much harder right. than the album version. So if you were going from an album to, to a, a twelve, 12 inch, yeah, you, had you to had to have the twelve inch volume <laughs> down here and the album volume, and you know, you trying to throw right, it in right. there or slide it in there. So now it was, was hard what, to was do. Was Mendo at the time all straight or was it gay too or what? Oh, well, Mixed, it, mixture. well, I'm sure there were some people okay. there that were identifying in some way or form. But right. remember it's not open at this Correct. point. Correct. It's still yeah. So, right. you know, it didn't matter one way or the other. I know Angie Foster, right. not to name out anybody, well, but you just did, who, yeah, I did. I guess I did. <laughs> she went. She went to Aquinas, and and okay. she's openly gay now. But right. you know, she was always a little, you know, right. Oh, and, of course. But you know, I love Angie to death. Always has. Right. That's 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 my road dog. Okay. But she was coming to the parties every week, right. and you know, well, that's good. And it was all about the dance and having right. fun. And just having and, fun. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so. Uh, it, uh, but the culture of it uh, also dictated the type of music. So it it could be a multitude of different things. Right. I could play uh, now. Salsos coming on board. Right. Remember, disco, disco was just just starting. Right. And it, it's you know yeah. now you got salsa, you got West End, right. you got uh, uh, Prelude coming. Prelude. Yeah. Come, I mean, you know, uh, D Train. Right. I mean, all kinds of stuff. So you know, now you're really stepping it up a little bit and right. uh but prior to that um and i'll give you this one another story real quick so probably one of the greatest uh things that happened to me at mendel uh was in the summer of 77 and uh, this this white kid came up to the 
because everybody's hearing about this. I mean, who's yeah. who's not hearing about this place that's throwing right. these parties every Saturday I mean, night? It was it was the, it was the the hottest you know place upstairs and really? downstairs. So I heard somebody call it the first rave party. Oh, you know, wow! Because you yeah. constantly rotating between two DJs and and you're getting a multitude of different types of music. But uh, and this guy ends up up on stage with me, and he's like, "I got something I want to give you." Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. Uh, and I look at him, <laughs> and I didn't recognize him. But right. So it turns out this kid lived in either, I forget where he lived, either Alsip or one of the western suburbs here. Okay. And it turns out it was Peter Brown. Oh, get out of here. And he had the acetate of I do you want to get, get funky? funky with me? Oh, wow. Which was a stalwart at Mendel because we were the ones to break the song. I and he mean, was from Chicago. He was from, oh yeah. He lived wow. in Alsip or or right not far from one right. of these uh, little suburbs. And um uh and when I put it on and I queued it up and I heard it, I was like, Wow. Wow. So you broke that record right there at Mendel. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. See? Look at that. Y'all hear it right here, y'all, on the show right here. Everything house music and more. So you were at Ground Zero for the birth of house as a genre. Mm -hmm. You were the first to promote it at radio. You even got mainstream play for Jesse Records. Yes. Why do you think house was not accepted in black America in the way that hip-hop actually was? Because most things had prior to that had been live music, and they were reluctant to to accept digital music. Wow. And and that's all it was. Okay. And um, the powers that be in the major labels, um, they just weren't going for it. They were used to putting these budgets yeah. into these studios. You got live streams, yeah. keys, right, live right, drums, right. and you know now all of a sudden you got somebody sitting back here with a <laughs> with a eight oh eight and a and they're like oh, they ain't real music. Right. So you know uh, a lot of times that was virtually it. Wow. And um, until uh, probably Warner was one of the the, the more stalwarts that kind of s- stretched out a little bit, mm. and okay. um, uh, probably because Wea, which right. was the distribution company, the dis- for Warner right. Electro Atlantic, right. uh, was the only big label in Europe. Right. You know, Wea was the label. It was no yeah, Warner Electric. Everything was Wea. Right. So um, as house music started taking off across the pond, it was like they understood the volume that was going on over there. Right. And so it was easy for Warner Brothers to try and transpose. So like when um, when uh, Jesse was approached by uh, um, Geffen, Okay. Wait, wait. Before we go there. Okay. Before we okay, go there. Before right. you get ahead of the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let, let's ask this question. What I ask everybody. Yes. Where did the term house music come from, in your perspective? In my perspective, I remember just talking to some of the older heads. So because the the the, the gay community was not out. Okay. They did a lot of private parties. Right. And they were that was this was the music that they were playing the the stuff you heard like in Studio Fifty Four right disco it was all disco, disco right. and you know and mm-hmm. and 
But in New York, they were playing disco that was a little more soulful. And, you know, by Frankie coming from New York, right. it was easy for him to introduce some things that was not necessarily a, a big movement here. Okay. Uh, and he wasn't doing the regular disco like they were doing at this at uh, at uh, Studio 54. Okay. Where, you know, the, most of that was European, uh, Giorgio Moroder right, right, and right. all the others. And so, but they were doing more of the soulful disco stuff. And by him... So it was predominantly black disco. What we, it, it was sure, about. yeah. And uh, but a lot of the gays here were already listening to that, right. you know, and they were playing that. So a lot of them were doing it in these large homes that they had in South Shore, right? And these huge apartments and stuff, and they were having private parties there. And uh, because a lot of these places were real old, they didn't have air conditioning and all that stuff. Wow. They had the windows open and stuff. And people would walk by and hear some music they weren't used to hearing. Okay. And they, they would say, oh, that's that house music, the stuff you hear in those houses over there. Mm. You know, that's where people probably, in my age bracket, 60 and up, okay. would say that's where house the music term came from. The term from. Okay. Now, there are those who state that, you know, that it came from the warehouse. Right. And it was the music Frankie played at the warehouse that gave it the terminology, which is funny to me because I saw the interview with Frankie, who had no idea what they were talking about. That is true. That's he said that. In terms of house music. Correct. So he never considered that, you know, house music or the warehouse had that kind of. So. Um, but I can see how a lot of people, as now they're starting to venture into it right. and go into these places that were forbidden for a long time to go to. Right. And they are hearing this stuff for the first time and they're like, wow, this is that warehouse music. <laughs> so they just kind of called it house music. So uh, I think there's probably room enough for both to coexist. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. See, that's 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 why we hear the. the I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's still a big issue for some people, so we know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, they say House was created by kids who was taken advantage of by labels out here in Chicago. You were the most elder out of the crew. How come you didn't have more influence in stopping the predatory practices of the labels taking advantage of you know us back in the day? Well, two reasons. One, um, I was the vice president of Jesse Records. Okay. And the other guys were our competitors. Oh. Um, you know, we had competitors. Yeah. Um, and that came along. And uh, everything was flying so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I had warned people for years mm. about certain parties that I won't say right now right. that uh, were part of a record uh, pool that I was a part of, right. you know, and saw how things had shifted <laughs> back then in 74. It's, it's been years. Say, say the pool, man. Say so anyway, so, you know, I, I Rocky had kind of a shifty name. Okay. And right, shifty, right, right, right. Uh, um, you know. This is part of history, man. Yeah, it's, it's a part, part of history. Of it, so, yeah. So, you know, and, you know, I'm like, listen, you guys are going to do business with Rocky, you know. Just be careful. Right. You know. So did I, you ever do anything with Larry Sherman Tracks Records at that time? Yeah, I did. So the funny thing is, Tracks Records belonged to Jesse Records. It was a subsidiary of our company. Hmm. We traded Larry Tracks Records for a pressing deal. I heard that. 
to put we had three labels we that's, had that's you that's uh vince lawrence and jesse saunders correct jesse was the president okay. i was the vice president vince was the head of sales okay Dwayne buford Dwayne buford was the uh head of distribution okay and then we bought in grant and wow you know and then byron and yeah. you know all kinds of so uh we had four labels we had jesse which was going to be the mainstay right then we had uh, Les Noise, okay, which was strictly yeah. just a little track yep. thing. You know, when we needed money, you know, right. operating capital, throw some stuff out there. Right. We had Precision. Yeah, Precision. And we had Dance Mania. Really? Yeah. I didn't know Which that. we did the deal with Ray, Ray Barney. Barney. Right. So, and then we had Tracks, which we had. If you notice, if you've got a Tracks record, Right. With a black and white label, right. that's a Jesse Records product. If mm. you got it with a red and white label, that's a Larry Sherman product. Really? Ah. See? I just thought they just pushed up because they know how to more colors, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they ran out of that color, so, you know. Because they was blue, they was green. Larry had, it was well, white. yeah. I mean, you but know? Larry had plenty of colors left wow. over from those, all those, uh, uh, what was the name of that company? They used to advertise on TV, all those records. Uh, you know, he would take their records and crush them up. And, oh, my, I and, remember that. Uh, yeah, I yeah redo the vinyl. And wow. That was that was Larry's forte. Okay, so here's here's one for you. Why aren't you a member of the Chosen Few DJs? Um, at the time, the Chosen Few were competitors to me as well. Okay. So um, that's a very interesting question. I have I, I've always kind of <laughs> I stumped you on that one. <laughs> yeah, you did. Always kind of followed my own path. I, okay. I mean, I had a crew myself, you know, right. uh, and everybody was jumping on board. And it's a funny thing. So, like in the early seventies, when uh, when I was playing. At the height of my popularity, man, if it was six parties a night in the city, I did all six of them. Wow. And, you know, I had multiple copies of records right. from the pools. Right, and the, right, right. Then I was a uh, billboard reporter for the record pool. Correct. And um, so, I mean, I had stuff. I started So you by, never talked to Wayne or anything, but, like, you know, we should come together and then. Here's, here's the interesting part about okay. that. So, one, my thing was always about making money. Right. And doing the business. Right. So uh, as Wayne and and Jesse progressed, let me let me just throw this in here before we go that way. Okay. So Wayne has started DJing, doing house parties with uh, Urit and who was his sister's boyfriend at the time, okay. and um, he and Urit were he would play records while Urit would go dance with his sister and right. do stuff like that. So. Uh, then he was work. Uh, I was doing parties at St. Albie's, and it was it was a thing. Like if I did a party at St. Albie's, and we had another party at Soul Queen right across the street. Right. I did both parties. I would run back and forth <laughs> playing. I'd leave Steve and I'm doing stuff. That's just being greedy, Kurt. No, I mean when when you become popular, you're in demand. So it wasn't like the thing now where you right. come in, you do an hour, you go somewhere yeah. else, do an hour, and you, right. you know, we did parties. When we wow. sat down to DJ, we were supposed to do the whole party, which okay. was generally only four to five hours. But, uh, um, and uh, so I'm at Mendel one night. No, I'm at St. Albies one night. 
And uh, this little kid comes up to me, and he's a little scrawny kid, and uh, got on these glasses and this Opie haircut. And he says, hey, man, I can DJ. Let me DJ. Let me DJ. Right. I don't know who he is. I'm like, man, get your goofy ass out of here. <laughs> so uh, turns out it's Wayne. Oh, my goodness. And he was working across the street at Whitehead Pantry there on 91st of Stoney. Oh, and okay. uh, I said, no, man, come on. I'm, I'm in the middle of doing my thing. You and know, what year was this? Oh, God, this is maybe early 70 maybe late 75 okay okay so then um about six months or so go by and i'm on the stage of mendel places pack right and here he comes again how he got on the stage i don't know <laughs> but just so happens my mom happened to be at the party with me that night okay and uh, my mom sees them both on stage and jesse's with him okay and uh jesse's like blown away at how this party is. Right. I mean, it's a sight to behold. Yeah. If you're on that stage and you're looking out and you see that place just right. packed wall to wall and everybody in. And do you have pictures of that? Yeah, I do actually. All right, send it to me. We're gonna flash it on the screen when yeah. you say that. So um so we um we're uh we're we're do I'm doing the party and mom goes over there and she starts hugging on Jesse and went, and I'm like, what is going on here? Turns out Jesse and Wayne end up being my cousins. Yeah, she's like, here. these are your cousins. So I was like, that's what I told her. I said, get out of here. Wow. So, um, you know, I kind of gave them some levity after that. And right. and we started um, getting, letting them have equipment whenever they needed. And nice. We started doing a lot of things together, which brings about a very uh, interesting question why I was never asked to be one of the right. chosen few. Wow. But by that time, I was probably, by the time they really started really kicking yeah. off, I was moving on the radio. Okay. And uh, uh, that's what stopped me from DJing. My yeah. interest waned from that to radio. Oh, and see, that's good. See, people didn't know that. Radio that's became what... my first love. And if you don't love it, don't do it. There you go. Yeah. So now, this comes to the end of questions. Name me your top three house records of all time. <laughs> Woo! Now, not disco. We're talking about Chicago house. The Chicago house. Now, or you can just be like, you know what? I'm going to put my disco in there. But name me your top three Chicago house records. Because if you remember, Mo. Back in the early days, people what they considered house music was like the old disco. That is like, true. That like is true. Isaac Hayes, uh, okay. I can't turn around. Right. That's not a house record. Right. But that's what they considered house. Yeah. Uh, Hidden Run, Lolita Holloway. Right. That's not a house record. That's disco. Right. They considered it house. So name okay. So you can go ahead and you can do the old school disco. Name me three top three of your records right now. Top three of my records. Yes. Move Your Body would have to be one. Okay. I mean, that's just... Self-explanatory right there, right? Yeah. Um, wonderful would be two. Okay, and that's by... Terry Honor. There you go. And Teresa Griffin. Right. Um, oh, God. Probably Let No Man Put Asunder. Okay. Well, there you guys, y'all heard it from my man, Kirk. Sweet K is they, what they call him back in the day. <laughs> Kirk, I really appreciate this, man. Thank you for taking the time out to Listen, do the man, show, we man. We can go for another three oh, hours. Oh, I know we can, but you know, unless you want to be a sponsor of the show, man, we can do that then. Well, how much? Here, okay. wait a minute, wait a minute. I, <laughs> I, I, I 
got all right, y'all. Something's going on with this technical difficulty. I got right a dollar now. and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Again, brother, thank you for this. I love you, man. Thank you for doing love this. Love you too, man. Uh, I just wanted people Listen, to know. I got to tell you. Yes, sir. Listen, man. I am so proud of all you've achieved. Thank you, brother. Throughout your career. Yes, sir. Uh, my hope and my legacy will always be one: the amount of people that I bought into this business yes, and influenced in this Absolutely. business. Absolutely. And one where people thought DJing was a joke. Right. Now they understand it as Absolutely. a serious business. And I, I can see you're part of friend and great friend because I've been knowing you for years, man. Yeah. And um, I just want people to know your story, brother, because everybody see you around, they'd be like, "Well, who's how he know about this?" Now they know your story, and there's a lot more to know. But y'all can hit up Kurt on social media himself. He's all on there. And uh, once again, thank you for tuning in for everything in house music and more. Thank you, Kirk. I appreciate it, brother. Love you, man. You too, Mo. Peace.